Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, Koshi here. Before we get into this episode of The Call, I've got a favor to ask. The bigger the Ausbiz audience, the more we can invest in great content and keep providing quality investment ideas to you for free. If you could just take a minute of your time to leave a review of the call in the Apple podcast app, it'll help keep our tribe growing. And of course, don't forget to catch up with all the best interviews each day at ausbiz.com.au. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the call. Hello, everyone. Welcome to uh, Ausbiz. This is the call. We're on until 1 p.m. this afternoon as uh, we um, take a look at 10 stocks that you've suggested we uh, adjudicate on. And we have uh, two experts here, uh, the creme, creme de la creme Ooh, of our experts on the call. <laughs> uh, otherwise known as the grumpy old man of, of the call. That's something uh, Gaurav Sodi from Intelligent Investor and Mathan Somersandaran from uh, Deep Data Analytics. Good morning to you both. Welcome back after Good the morning. short week. Thank You're you. feeling refreshed, raring to go. Yeah, I had, I had my uh, Royal Easter show outing. So right. I'm just glad to be sitting somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It's madness out there, isn't oh, it? Yeah. What about you, Gora? Oh, look, I can tell you the holidays are much more work than work ever is. Right, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly right. I, uh, uh, I had, had a friend, though, who uh, years ago, uh, they had five kids. They would make holidays boring, mm. so the kids would be looking forward to going back to school. That's I brilliant. Thought that was a really good tactic. Brilliant. Yeah, except my kids will probably go feral and kill me. <laughs> <laughs> All right, now uh, let's get straight into it because uh, Nathan has come up with uh, a chart that mm. wants to discuss. This is the chartist in him, the nerd in him. Um, the US bond yields have uh, a higher correlation to China inflation than the US. Um, run us, run us yeah. through the chart. So in the last uh, decade uh, since the GFC, Obviously, China has become the bigger manufacturing play. Now, the US, uh, invariably, uh, everyone loves to say that they're the ma big manufacturing play. But at the end of the day, all their inputs come from China. Right. So when the Chinese inflation goes up, all the input costs go up. And we've seen that with the producer price index because that's been going up. Yep. And that's actually hit all-time highs. So that's telling you that prices are going up. Now, why has the inflation actually been relatively uh, benign over the years? At the last five, six years, the Chinese inflation has been falling. Okay. So that's actually helped everyone bring down the rates. So right. all the central banks, it's not because of what's happening in their economy, because China is literally exporting you lower inflation. Okay, so, you, so you're saying if markets are driving themselves on US bond yields, yes. but the, the bond yields aren't reflecting what's happening in the US economy, it's reflecting what's happening in the China economy. It's the, basically your inflation measure is driven by what's happening in China right. on a global basis more than what's happening in the US. 
So the Chinese inflation actually dropped for the last five, six years yeah. to negative territory and it started to bounce back. Hence why we're seeing inflationary mm. pressures coming in the US because all the input costs, yeah, I know they like to say they make stuff, but yeah. a lot of their stuff is pre-made in China. So whether it's China or Southeast Asian countries okay. where China have operations, they're the guys who are making it and they're seeing more and more cost. And funnily enough, after decades of everyone telling us China is going to blow up, Chinese uh, finance guys were telling us in the last two, three months, beware credit problems, beware asset bubbles. And you know, you never hear this from China because China is the other the side yeah. of the coin. Yeah. But they will be, they've been warning us. And the other advantage that the world has enjoyed is because they're a big manufacturer, their currency actually mm. has been strong against the US yeah. dollar. That's coming off as well. So there's a decent reef, you know, inflation pressures coming out of China. Okay. Gaurav, is that worthwhile in uh, investor, investors understanding that, or is he being too nerdy for us? <laughs> no, for once, for once, Nathan has pulled out something useful, actually. <laughs> okay. There is a big global puzzle. Um, central bankers and economists are trying to solve it, and the puzzle is the persistence of globally low inflation. No one has really successfully come up with an explanation about why inflation has been so low for so long. We used to right. think it was due to the money supply. Um, the GFC came around and obliterated yep. that theory. There's lots of other theories doing the rounds. This one is one I have heard before, but the evidence appears quite good. I mean, that's a, it's a very mm. interesting chart. I had not seen it before, and I wasn't aware of that correlation. Very interesting. I would make an additional point, which is I'm surprised by the Chinese lack of inflation, given we, we have wages data in China, and wages yeah. data is actually accelerating um, right. tremendously. So I'm a little suspicious but about that. But, mate, you're saying it's turned up it now. Has it has actually. It, okay. it all, fell all the way down to negative territory, and over the last three, four months, that's actually turned positive, right. and it's a decent spike up. So if you look at historical trend, it should get back to around 1.5% to 2%. That's still really very low. It is low, yeah. but it, right now it's you know just in the positive territory. So mm. there's still a... 150 basis point move higher. <coughs> now, China is still always managing to make sure that they are the lowest cost mm. producer. But still, that's a decent move. And if yep. you put that anyway, even half that move into the bond yields for the US, that's a decent. And we've got US inflation coming out in a couple of days. Yep. There's a reason why Jerome Powell is on 60 Minutes telling everyone, we're going to get a decent growth mm. because he doesn't want you to look at that the growth comes with a pretty decent step up in inflation. So in a couple of right. days, we'll know. PPI, producer price index, which it's is driven by the China. Yeah, it happened last week and it was a big beat. It yeah. beat expectations a fair bit. We're, we're at all-time high producer price index weights. So in that context, I think inflation is going to be hard and it's going to be big and it's going to be big for a while. Okay. And everyone is saying it'll come off. Mm -hmm. That's the big question. Will it come off? And our yeah. central bank saying we won't put up interest rates as a result till 2024. Okay. Last night, Jerome Powell said, it is unlikely that they will raise rates this year. Okay. This year? That is exactly right. Two weeks ago, he was saying no rate rises for two to three years. Yeah. Now he's saying unlikely this year. Mm. And the mm. implied market implied probability for rate rise next year, 90%. Oh, wow. Okay. Wow. Okay. So, so beware. Be yeah, beware. So as an investor, what do you do? How do you, you prepare for it? You take advantage of it. I mean, it's a reflation trade. So you look at stocks like resources are going to do well. You look at insurance sector who's going to do well. You look at gold sector who's going to do well. There are sectors like hmm. challenges going to do well. Okay. Guys who benefit from it, gung-ho. Okay. All right. Got a couple of those on our list today that we'll take a look at. Uh, let's get into stock, stock of the day. Um, 
Uh, in fact, we won't do stock of the day um, because we'll replace it with Nathan's chart and these guys go, always go over time. <laughs> so let's go straight into your stocks, I think, and um, take a look first up. Uh, Peter wants a view, Gaurav, on Boss Energy. Now, Peter says, have recently made the, they've recently made the strategic move of uranium purchases by a $60 million equity raising. Peter obviously has an interest in Boss Energy doing well. Um, and now a new report from influential North American broker Sprott has named Boss Energy as the premier next-in-production uranium developer uh, through its honeymoon site in South Australia. What do you think of Boss? Yeah, I had never heard of it before. It's been years since I've looked at the uranium sector, but I had a look at this, and look, I have to say, it, it looks very interesting. Yeah. Um, I'm not a bull on uranium. Right. I think, um, you know, it makes a lot of sense um, if you apply sense to it, but, um, you know, decisions about power are rarely made on sense alone. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. You, look, you know, in Europe and in Japan, uranium is on... Um, uh, Nuclear is on the way out. There are about 100 nuclear power stations around the world um, that are closing, and that number isn't being replaced with new construction. There's always oh. planned construction, yes. and they're always planned, um, and they're always pushed out years and years and years. You're really relying on China and India to construct these new um, plants. And okay. So the uranium bugs keep going, oh, well, it's big in Europe, we should be following. It, well, look at the trajectory in Europe, and I think you'll get a different answer. Right. Um, the trajectory okay, in Europe is, is different to the actual size of the operation in Europe. Um, you know, the Fukushima disaster was more, what, what, 10 years ago now? Yep. I think there's about four of the 50 um, nuclear power stations have been reopened, and nobody wants any more reopened. Mm. Um, they've replaced um, the deficit with mostly LNG and some, some high... Um, you know, high-burning uh, coal. Right. Um, and, and, I th and, you know, add uranium, add um, renewables to the mix. Um, and, and I just don't think the economics of nuclear power really stack up. It costs billions mm. of dollars to construct the plant. They have to be on all mm. the time. And you've got renewables already disrupting, always on um, power facilities. I, I think I'm more inclined to think that, and this is pure speculation, but um, distributed energy, you know, um, generating energy where it's required rather than at a central point and then move, shuffling it around. That appears to be the way the grid is mm, going rather okay. than there's these big colossal generation stations. Um, certainly that's what the, that, that's what the, the marginal um, energy producer is telling us. But mm. look, this is all speculation. Um, my, my view is just a, a view. If, if you have a different view and interested in uranium, this is probably the uranium stock to buy. Right. There are only three places in the world you want to be um, mining uranium. It's South Australia, Namibia, and Canada. Anywhere else, it gets very difficult. These guys have an interesting-looking deposit in South Australia. It's all okay. ready to go, fully permitted. They just need a high uranium price, and not a, a, gi a giantly high one, just a reasonably high one. I think it's about 35 bucks a tonne, mm. which seems reasonable. I think this is... If you're a uranium bull, you either look at this... But you're not a uranium I'm not, bull. but, you know, right. I could be wrong. I'd... I'd Believe okay. it or not, I don't know everything. <laughs> um, I would also consider Silex, which is a probably one we need to look yeah. at in more detail another day. But yeah. um, I'll just throw that out there. That's a um, enrichment technology business, and and I think that will probably do better than uranium miners mm. in the event okay. of a uranium resurgence. All right. Yeah, I was going to mention Silex. Um, mm. It's it's an interesting one. So when the um, blue wave came through in the U.S. election cycle, yeah. uranium took off. Didn't matter what you were in, as long as you picked one uranium stock, it had a run, for the right or wrong reason. 
Um, so the renewables and part of that was <coughs> uranium and pretty much all of them started to run. Now Silex, um, I'll just jump into that one for a second. Mm -hmm. Silex actually has a couple of things working for it. One is the uranium enrichment. The other one is the work they do in the chip side. I think so they've the sold that. Uh, no, I don't think so. Yeah. They've actually Didn't done it recently. Yeah, yeah. They've, yeah, they've actually come up with a few new okay. things. So have a look at that. That actually <coughs> plays into the whole quantum computing, mm -hmm. right? So there is a couple of leg legs to that. And I think Silex, you're right. I, if, I, if I had to play it, I would probably look at that because yeah. it's got multiple parties running for it. Um, BOSS is one that a number of people have had told me about. Uh, guys I trust in the industry, they've been looking at this for a while. So they've been on the run uh, and they keep telling me, maybe it's a reverse broking. Uh, <laughs> but, but to a certain extent, I think just about every stock's had a good run. But BOSS remains one of the top three that the guys that I trust mm. keep mentioning about. So okay. again, it ticks a lot of boxes. I think it's the right place. Uranium is probably not the one I'm thinking that's going to play out. But who look, who knows? I just follow the data and uranium prices have been recovering. Mm. Uh, I have to say in the last three to six months. Has Although done no one, you can ignore spot prices. Yes. No one transacts and, on and, the spot and that's the, yeah. And that's the problem. The other yeah. side of it is the overall energy sector has done phenomenally well yep. in the last four months. Now, that's, I think, with the overall sector is priced on supply restrictions in oil and so forth, with what's OPEC. OPEC is about to start dumping more oil on the market. So I think we're pretty much at the top that's going to come off. So the sentiment in the energy sector will be a bit weak, but renewables is, is pretty mm. strong. So okay. uranium's caught between both of them. Um, yeah, I, I just think it's, it's a bit hard for me at the moment. I just don't see the enough data points to jump on it. But if you like the uranium thematic, uh, I think BOSS is one of the better ones. Yeah. Okay. All right. Uh, thank you for that. And um, um, a really good answer there, Peter. If you're uh, into uranium, uh, it's one of the better ones. All right. Jack uh, Mather wants a view on QEM, sort of back into the energy area as well. They recently announced a hydrogen initiative in outback Queensland, uh, sort of producing green hydrogen by using solar power to separate hydrogen from water. So you've got hydrogen with another green way of, of producing it. Oh, it's, you know, you've got all the bingo words. Yep. Um, you know, it's, it's got the, the hydrogen concept. It's, they can do it with green and you go, oh, it's, it's green yeah, on yep. green. I think um, they're talking about, are they talking about batteries as well? Yeah. Or or battery that's material. about to happen, yeah. right? It's, it's a yeah. matter. Um, and it's, I mean, you look at the share price, it did nothing for a while and from eight cents ran to 24 cents. Yep. And it's come back to 17 cents. Now, I always tell you the first run is the steroid run and you've had that steroid run, um, you're going to get a bit of reality here. This will take time. It'll take for them to prove things, even if it does play out. Um, you're going to be there. If you're there now, you're going to be in a couple of cap raisings while they do yeah. this. So um, if you're there before, you've done well, take yeah. your money and run away. Um, and you don't want to be there when they're trying to prove the case. Right. You come back when they've got the case and they're going into production. Okay. So it's like any mine. Um, you don't hang around while they're trying to prove what they told you that gave you the first run. Yep. It's just a tough run, statistically against okay. you. All right, uh, Gaurav, to add another layer to it, they're adding the solar power to produce the hydrogen mm -hmm. to use as an energy source for Julia Creek oil shale. Yes. To um, Julia Creek. I'm old enough to remember Central and Southern Pacific, which was years <laughs> and years. Years ago, during the 80s, I think, with shale oil up there. So what, um, what they've got is a mixture of, um, I think it's vanadium and, and, and mixed in with shale oil. Yeah. It sounds like yeah. an incredibly 
complex um, yep. project. It, I mean, they say they've got the extraction rates really high. They're talking about over 90% um, success in extraction, and, and that's fine. But, um, you know, it, this is not really the point in the cycle, I think, where well, at this point in the cycle, you do tend to find increasingly complex, increasingly um, ideas-heavy businesses that are light on things like um, production and, and revenues and contracts. Um, I haven't seen a flow sheet, um, which I would, would look horrendous, I imagine, but you really, anytime you're investing in a mining operation, you must inspect the flow sheet and actually see what they're, right. how they're going to extract the minerals, what are the choke points, are they funded, yep. and who's taking the material. Um, you don't, can't just sell Vendanium on the spot market. Um, you know, you need someone to take it. So there's a lot. There, this is a very early stage business. I'd even call this an idea, not really a business. Yeah. Um, for me, I, I don't understand why you would put money in an idea. I mean, you you work hard for your money. You 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 know you, you try and save twenty cents on 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 um, you know um, petrol, petrol or, yeah, or yeah. On, on toothpaste or something, and then you go and, and blow is, ten thousand dollars. It is a seventeen million market. So <laughs> yeah. it's you know just the market cap tells you it's a concept. Yep. So when you're playing a concept, you get that bounce that's gone three times. Yeah. You go take your money, at yep. least half of it, lock it in, and then see what happens to the other lot. It could be the thing, and it could prove, and yeah, write half of it, de-risk yeah. your project, what you've done. Do you go into it after what's happened? Uh, I think it's much higher risk at 17 million market cap. Yeah. You're just taking too much. Yeah. yeah, and as you say, it is so complex. Show when you start throwing in the buzzwords, hydrogen, renewable energy, and then shale oil, you go, It's, a, it's just, it, it's one of those, my, you know, pet hates when, from the days when graphite had the first run, That's right. I used to really hate when people come out with bingo words yeah, yeah. because it kind of dilutes your um, credibility to me, yeah. but it gets the market, right? We used to literally download the uh, news flash items and then Google, I mean, sorry, <laughs> uh, you know, search for graphite to see how many stocks. There was a point when just having the word graphite in your name meant you went up 30, 40%. And it was just insane. Just and like lithium does now. Exactly. Yeah. So, <laughs> well, so we should right. add that at one stage, Fortescue was a crazy idea, yes. right? I mean, oh, yeah, Woodside, right. Woodside. Right. I remember Absolutely. when Woodside, well, I don't remember it, but I read about it when Woodside oh, yeah. in the 60s was oh, a crazy look, idea, right? FMG, when yeah. it started, was <laughs> was a very risky okay. proposition. Yeah. FMG was That's a risky right. proposition. Yeah, yeah. I was around, I remember. But, you know, yeah. they proved themselves and they are a phenomenal machine now. But uh, the uh, point is you don't have to buy it when it's 60. I mean, the risk here is just so high and you're investing in an idea, you want to be investing in a business. And so if you want watch it let's just watch it all right let's go to a more traditional That's business right. now rob wants a view gorov on uh, on brickworks now they don't just make bricks are, are a bit more complex than that yeah. uh, building products in australia the us they have a property division which converts their old quarries for making the bricks into um basically housing development with goodman group and they've got an investment in uh, washington salt patterson as well as an investment Correct, yeah, we've been banging on about Brickworks for years, at yep. least since I've been at II, about 10 years, telling people this is not a brick maker, this is an, yep. an investment business that is heavy on bricks. Um, yep. And it used to get compared to CSL and Boral. They used to have open broker notes and, and watch um, EBITDA comparisons, oh, it's trading on this yep. multiple and Boral's <laughs> trading on that multiple, and then the, they just didn't get it, but that's changed. Brokers are onto this. I think the market now appreciates what Brickworks is. You can see that from the share price appreciation. Um, apart from everything you've mentioned, David, it's also a wonderfully managed business. This has got to be one of the top 10 management teams in Australia. Wow, that's a big um, call from you. Yeah, well, they're, they're running a lousy Jeez. business, right? I mean, making yeah. bricks is not a good business. Yeah. Even in the boom times, mm. they're making probably 12% return on, on equity. 
But um, George, every day, you talk to these guys, these guys live and breathe their business. Lin yeah. Lin Lindsay Partridge knows everything about this. We've been on tour, on a site tour with him and the team, and it's just extraordinary the passion and the knowledge that these guys have good for that. making bricks. Um, yep. You're investing alongside a good bunch of people. Um, you know, we've, five, we've owned five this. Five year high. Yeah, yep. Um, we've owned this on and off for a long time. Uh, five year high. Look, I, I still don't think it's ridiculously expensive. Um, mm -hmm. We, I, I wouldn't, you know, for me, I probably demand higher returns. But this is a very high. This is a well managed business that's um, that's in. Uh, I would say a maybe just an above average um, space. Yeah. Uh, what they're doing in the U.S. is really interesting, actually. Well, I was very skeptical about that, but getting to know that American business is a bit better. So most of the American business is actually replacing um, uh, really hard to find original um, bricks. Yeah. Um, an example that the management gave me was the uh, the Chrysler building. Um, so the the American business. The, the quarry that they own in America actually supplied the original bricks for the Chrysler building, and every five years mm. they have to replace a few bricks, and and that's what that business mostly is. It's, wow. it's replacing, so it's almost like a contract business, right? You're actually yeah. replacing um, uh, things that no one else can source elsewhere. Yeah. Um, a designer so brick business. A designer mm. brick business, correct? Mm. Yeah, it's almost a fashion business, really. Yeah. Um, and then you've got all the other stuff. So in terms of asset value, this is a small premium. I think that's about fair value from here. If you buy from here, you're probably expecting a return of between you know eight nine percent a year. For many people, that's perfectly adequate. And and if that's if that's you, you're in a safe pair of hands. You can you can buy this happily and get that return. Okay. For me, I probably demand a bit more. So hold for me. Okay. Damn, I have to agree. Um, <laughs> look, it's a very good business. It's a really good business. Gross, right? It ticks a lot of boxes. Um, they're they're good at doing something that's probably not appreciated before and you're right there's a lot more brokers covering it it's more and they're getting it right now yeah <laughs> which they, they weren't before. exactly yeah. and so it, it is actually everyone knows you're not yeah. you're not buying something that people don't know like this probably a couple of years ago it was yeah it was, it was massively it was probably, mispriced. yeah oh yeah probably 30 percent of the market actually got it wrong the view of it and i have to agree and i was one of them probably and then as the data came through i went damn this is actually good and then yeah. when you dig into it you realize um, and that's a good business, but it's price for it. It's like, you know, I, I think Goodman Group is one of the top 10 businesses in yeah. Australia. But, you know, we pulled it out of our model um, in the last three, four months. And this is one that's probably in the same category. I think they're really, really good, but they're priced for being really, really good. And everyone knows about it. Mm. So I don't think you're going to get a real surprise. But it's one of those ones where if you bought it cheap, just leave it alone. Don't yep. look at it. It's yeah. you know, it's just basically. If you look at the long-term trend, it just grinds up higher, and you're getting a good yield. And if you bought it cheap, you're getting a good yield now, and you just ride it. Yeah. Um, and I wouldn't sell it. But if you're looking at it as a new investment, nah, not for me here. I okay. think a better bang for your buck other places. All right. Okay. Uh, do you think um, this one is fairly priced at the moment? Sid wants a view on Collection House. Sid says after a long time in a trading hold. The stock has crashed. Should we just bury it in the bottom drawer or cut our losses? Currently down 83% and the stock is still sliding. Of course, they um, sold their loan ledger yeah, to, uh, credit to yeah, Credit Corp yeah. um, to try and pay back debt, got themselves into a bit of a problem. But uh, Credit Corp, which does something similar, has actually been still a really strong performer, hasn't it? They, yeah. they buy debts from if you like financial groups and, and banks and give 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 the banks ninety cents in the dollar for it and then collect the rest for the ten cents in the dollar. Um, look, there's a few guys in it. Um, 
Credit Corp is the best. Yeah. Um, Credit Corp's bigger business now is more US. Um, look, these things, when the pandemic hit, um, this thing went to nothing, right? Mm. All of these businesses basically goes to nothing because no one can pay. Yeah. Uh, but obviously all the handouts have really helped them and all these businesses yeah. have bounced back. Now, the other one was Pioneer Credit, got into trouble, management issues, blah, blah. Yeah. You, you, there was red lights flaring everywhere on that one way yeah. before it went ended in trouble. Collection House, I was actually positive on this model for a while. And then when they started to have a few problems, we can see it through the numbers, we jumped out. Yeah. And when the economy started to turn south, we jumped out of the whole sector because we didn't yeah. want to be there. And then these guys get into real trouble. And it's it's had a really, really, you know, low score on management over the last couple of years, for obvious reasons they got themselves into. And now Credit Corp has always been talking about, look, we're the best guys, we'll just pick them off when, they, when we have to. And they've done that. Yeah. Um, so, the question here is it's been beaten up so much, they're probably going to get new management, they'll do a you know, reset, it'll take a while to come back. So it just comes down to, um, it's just one of those hard things, I've personally had this issue when, when you get slaughtered in a stock, what do you do? And yeah. it's just psychology of, well, if I sell out now, I take a huge loss and then for some reason they do something right and then it pops 30, 40%, I look like an idiot. Yeah. And that's, that's the problem <laughs> in this stock, right? We've all been there, we've all done this, right? Yeah. So it's a psychology that you have to work around. Statistically, that takes a lot longer than what you think, and you can be stuck there looking at this every three months going, oh, yeah, it might happen in the next three months, next yeah. month. So just without knowing anything, and I, I don't know inside what's happening in the, in the organization, I would just say statistically, it's not worth waiting for that. Yeah. I would say you take your money, go somewhere else with a better investment, and don't make the mistake of thinking, I want to pick the next stock that runs up 50% to make it up. Yeah. Just look at 10 to 15%, and if it yeah. breaks out that that's a good stock, you'll write it up. And, and if this pops, don't begrudge no, people no, have gone it's into never, it, just it. It's the classic song, don't, don't look back in anger, yeah, you exactly. move on. I also think the way to approach a business like this is to forget about what you purchased it for, that's completely irrelevant. Um, the market doesn't care what you paid for your stock, yeah. and yeah. Um, I can assure you management doesn't. <laughs> um, the question is now, is there still value at, at these prices? You know, is the business going to survive first of all and, and what is it worth? These companies are incredibly hard to value. So we own Credit Corp and, and we own it not because we're masters of being able to value it, but we, we know that the management has a long track record of, um, of wonderful allocation and we knew that the two key competitors, Collection House and Pioneer, were close to administration. So. Uh, Credit Corp had the market to itself in terms of buying um, new ledgers coming on market. Yeah. And they've done that and you can see the share price appreciation to tell you that. The, the tricky thing with these businesses is that profit is completely discretionary. You can print your own profit number and buy up as many debt ledgers as you want and the risks, you don't realise the risk of that profit until years down the road. And this is, what, this is what's happened to Collection House. They've been printing yeah. pretty profit numbers for years all the while accumulating quietly uh, much more risk and all that risk has just come home to roost which tells mm -hmm. you that the profit numbers in the, of the past were imaginary and these guys have not done a very good job of, of it's, it's a lot of risk. forward bringing off profits it is yeah. so when that yeah. first problem starts to you know it's, it's a bit like this is why what worries me about buy now pay later the whole concept because you're bringing forward a lot of growth yeah and we need to have one problem because you've already printed that as a profit it gets into this huge negative cash flow yeah. blow up model. So that's the risk in that. You're bringing forward so much uh, yeah. into the valuation. So you, yeah, that's, and that's why people, if you had to pick, you just go to credit right. card because 
they just do it much more conservatively and they do it, have done it for a Again. long period of time. Through okay. the this looks very cheap. I mean, it's, it is. It's, it's, I think it la in the last result, it made twice its market cap in operating cash flow. Mm -hmm. So there is, they're running off their old ledgers. Yeah. I would sit down and look forensically at this. Um, right. I, I think there might be an opportunity here at some stage. I, would, I need a change in management. Um, and I need a, a fresh set of books to look okay. at. <laughs> but but, you, but right. I keep but an eye on it. I'll give you an example, like porn, EDI went through that. Oh, and we've lost, you know, yeah. Yeah, I know. so a lot yeah. of people have lost money, right? Yeah. And that's, you know, I've, I actually was a fan of it. I was waiting for how that settles yeah. out and then it popped and, you know, so the, the reality is it can happen, but yeah. it takes a long time. And I, as an investor, it's emotionally right. draining to yeah. watch something like that. And it's it always requires a change of management as yeah. well. Okay, mm -hmm. so watch for that change of management yeah. first up. Um, Kate wants a view, Gaurav, on Ordinate. Yeah. It develops um, um, sort of... Uh, Start the um, clock. <laughs> so, uh, has this d system called Dante, which yeah. puts sound to, uh, to vision, basically. All the big touring companies, record um, companies, uh, the mushroom records of the world and frontier touring all use it. You probably use it here, don't you? Yeah. Yes, we do. Yeah. Every yeah. time you're setting up a AV network, yeah. instead of connecting with wires, you can actually just use um, the Dante chip, which is a software hardware protocol. Um, we've described it as, um, as Bluetooth for yeah. the AV industry. Now, Bluetooth is owned by a collection of about 100 different companies, and it's a non-for-profit. But you can't make an electronic device today without adding the Bluetooth protocol. Yeah. Um, so you can imagine if this, if Bluetooth was privatized, how profitable that thing would be. Yeah. Just taking a clip of every sale of every, every yeah. electronic device. That's what Ordinator building here. They are miles ahead of any competitor. I would say that I'm not even concerned about competition anymore. Mm -hmm. um, it's now just a process of monetization. I think they're about eight times higher. They have an eight times, they're doing eight times more products than the nearest competitor who's wow. actually in decline now, which is CobraNet. Um, so they've got the lead. Um, they monetize when there, are, is there is a sale of an AV product. Um, so sales of AV products have been rather low during the pandemic. So yeah. there's a bit of cyclicality there, but they are recovering. I think you can, you can forget about this year's numbers and next year's numbers. This is all about building a unregulated monopoly. I think the, the market size is about a billion dollars here. They should get 80% of that market at about 80% margin. I wow. think this is, this is uh, in my view, this is going to be a $20 stock um, in, in five or 10 years. Okay. And um, I, I would be buying this still. Oh, this, we, this I might add, we bought this when it first IPO'd like 270 or something. So. Well, $1.60 <laughs> by the look of it down there. Uh, we didn't get down there. We got around wow. 270 Wow. Um, Ivan, yeah, yeah look, um, I'm a fan, big fan. Um, we've talked about this on the, on the yeah, tech space. Yeah. Uh, look, I think if you're looking at the big techs, um, Altium and Appen, for me, are the top two. Uh, they've both been belted. They're down fifty yeah, percent. Yeah, which we kind of expected. I can tell you that from first-hand yeah. experience. Well, our, super fun. We, actually, <laughs> our models, our models got out of it in July last year. Right. Um, so it's it's halved since then. Uh, the next batch, what we consider as platform techs that yeah. have the capacity to add new features and charge, that's the the growth is instant. For them, is um, for me, Ordinate and Vista Group. Uh -huh. um, yeah. And it's funny because both of them are linked to. Uh, opening up economy, yes. but once trading at relatively high levels uh, in the last couple of years, once trading at relatively low levels, yes, it's bounced, it's around 100% from the bottom, but still, it's relatively low. So, um, look, I like both of them. Uh, right. Both of them are proven techs, both of them are dominating their market share, they're growing. Um, Ordinate, I think, has much more, in the new world, is probably a bit more uh, defensive than Wister Group, but look, 
I took my kids to the movies, so I know how much yeah, yeah. people miss the movies. Mm -hmm. So I think Mr. Grug will be back. So I like both of them. The yeah. only thing is where we are in the cycle, especially in the next couple of days, you're going to get the inflation number out of US. Bond yields are going to go higher. All the techs are going to come off. So you'll get a better price. Yeah. So I'd say you're probably going to get it cheaper in the next month or two. Um, but look, Ordinate and Vista Group are for me the ones you buy and you don't worry about it. Right. Because in two years or three years time, this thing will be worth a lot more. Okay. All right. Uh, that's our first five stocks. Just uh, to recap on them, Boss Energy, uh, a note from both uh, Nathan and Gaurav, but it is the best of the uranium stocks. So if you're into your uranium, what an investment in that sector. Yes, take a look at it. Um, Silex is a better alternative mix. Um, to mix it. with it because it's in the enrichment business. Uh, QEM a no, uh, Brickworks a hold from both Gaurav and uh, Nathan, a no on Collection House and Ordinate uh, a yes from both of them. Um, here on the call, we have our own fantasy portfolio. We've been sort of following since the 1st of July last year, thanks to our partner Nabtrade. Any stocks like, uh, like Ordinate that get two thumbs up, go in uh, to the calls portfolio. If it comes up again, in, even in front of a different expert panel, uh, it goes out. If it doesn't get that unanimous approval, let's see how it's been going. Yes, let's <coughs> For the last week, uh, up 3.5% month, almost 6% since the 1st of July last year, up 29%. Now... 20. Q, Q the um, the audio effects <laughs> the grumpy as old we man. go through oh. the stocks oh, recently the added by uh, yeah all right Vanek Vectors Australian Banks uh, ETF uh, I don't even know no. what that is no, no. no. don't do banks no. Centuria Capital uh, I don't know it either yeah uh, next DC yes a big yes yeah. <coughs> AUB Group yeah uh, Steadfast yeah uh, stocks removed Webjet yeah, yes I agree. Premier I agree. Investments. Yeah, I agree. No, yeah. I, I keep it. No, it's, yeah. it's in pivot. Oh yes. Ah, no. This <laughs> <laughs> is agriculture. I mean, look at the fertilizer price. Yes, they had a problem. They always have a problem. Right. Exactly. They always have a problem. <laughs> okay. If, uh, as I said, <laughs> cue the sound effects because this happens every time with these two. It's a fertilizer store. Prices are going up. It's terrific. Mm. Um, mm. You can check all the stocks in the calls portfolio. Head to osbiz.co forward slash portfolio. Uh, and just a programming note, uh, we'll be speaking to Eero oh, CFO oh, Alex Ball this afternoon, just days after the company signed up its largest ever Australian customer, mm. Venture. Uh, we'll dive into the details at 1.30 this afternoon. Mm. And that's, uh, I think we've talked about Eero a bit mm. here on the call over recent weeks, so it'll be good to catch up with Alex and get the very latest there. All right, uh, our sixth stock to take a look at, uh, Phil wants a view on Megaport. Now, Nathan, a lot of people make the mistake saying this is a data centre business. It's not really, is it? It sort of connects corporate customers and governments with connectivity. Yeah, it's one of the Bevan Slattery uh, connections. Yep. So, you know, you put Bevan Slattery on dung, it goes up. <laughs> um, and, and the reality is it did, and they've executed well. But it was priced. I mean, the, all the Bevan Slattery stocks, uh, look, the guy's good, right? Don't get me yep. wrong. But everything ran just because it was Bevan Slattery yeah. and they ran too far. And he was, was the next of, DC guy, yeah. wasn't he? Yeah. Uh, and, and so it's run way too hard. Uh, and so we kind of rolled out of it. Um, there's the, the old telcos are now back in fashion. 
you know, you're seeing a lot of M&A being played out with there's Telstra, TPG, Vocus, everyone's in play. So, you know, there is a lot of things happening in the telco sector. I am interested in the telco sector, but I'm not interested in the guys, the market darlings of the, the last yeah. couple of years. I'm waiting to see how the dynamic plays out. I still like Telstra here. I'm not chasing MP1 here. I'll, I think it's in a in the cycle has turned on it. And again, I always say, okay. when the, when these stocks have multi-year upgrade cycles and they get into a downgrade cycle, don't try and pick the bottom. Stay okay. out of it. I'm actually the telco analyst at II, so um, this is a stock I've looked at in some detail. And I, I echo what Nathan has said. The, the quality of that telco industry in Australia has dramatically improved. You've got some yep. great businesses. Um, we've talked about Aussie Broadband, one of my favourite stocks. Yep. Next DC, I still think completely yep. misunderstood, but wonderful. No, it's just a CEO. <laughs> he stops insta- if he stops Instagramming, he'll do it. So you bring that up all the I time. I think he's fine. He's a good CEO. Um, <laughs> Macquarie Telecom, uh, you know, great oh, yeah. business. Uh, right. infra- there's a heap of infra- great, uh, it's, a, it's a good little sector that perhaps doesn't get the recognition mm. it deserves. I would say Megaport is the opposite of that. I think there's been so much hype about this business without right. people understanding what this business actually is. And as you correctly say, David, it's not a, this is not a data center business, this is a network business. Yeah. And what it does is it installs um, a connectivity device inside data centers and hires out dark fiber around the world to be able to move data from one data center to the other. It's actually a great service, a wonderful idea. Um, and what it allows businesses to do is, is to be able to connect to different data centers without having physical infrastructure in those yep. data centers and, yep. and ramp up and ramp down the number of, uh, of or the computer power they're able to, uh, to allocate in each data center. As I said, wonderful business, quite unique. They themselves claim that they have the largest network of data centers um, inside the Megaport network, and, and they yep. do, about 300 yep. data centers. It's <coughs> miles ahead of um, the competition depending on how you define the competition. And mm. I think this is the problem. So the, there are a few Asian competitors who have a lot less, a much smaller network, but there's two things you need to understand about um, the way data moves in, in, in these data centers. First of all, there are competing networks from data centers themselves. So the world's yeah. biggest data center provider is Equinix. Um, they have their own network. So, um, you know, their biggest competitor is actually Equinix. Equinix mm. has a dedicated um, network where you can move data inside any Equinix center. They've got software and hardware to support that. Ditto NextDC, which I think NextDC is actually a network business. They have a yep. lot of, um, um, they have a, an ecosystem you can move data centers along. All their centers are connected by fiber. Yep. So there is competition. They, they don't have the market to themselves and the market's gotten carried away thinking that this is a network monopoly without competition, mm. not the case. The other thing is you look at where the traffic is going, you know, about, about 70% of all the traffic actually just goes to four places. It goes to the big hyperscalers. It goes to Amazon, Google, and Microsoft. And there are heaps of competitors that can move traffic to those right. hyperscalers. So you may, it, what looks like a monopoly or a really impregnable network at first, once you start looking a bit closer, it's actually not that hard to compete with mm. Megaport. And you can see that from, I think, from the rather disappointing growth numbers. I still think this is actually a very good business. Um, the price was outrageous. Yeah. Um, oh, it's calmed down a fair bit. Look, I, I, w- I think around the $7 mark, it might be right. a bit, bit more interesting. Okay. Um, we've got it on the watch list. I keep an eye on it. It's, it's well run. It's a great idea. It's a good product. But it is com- it's a competitive market, and um, the pricing has been, has been foolish. Okay. Um, so just, just be aware of that one. Keep an eye on it. Hold All right. 
good result there. Thanks for sending that suggestion in, Phil. Now, Gaurav James wants a view on 8Common. This is a software solutions business um, helping companies with their expenses and productivity. This seems to be a reasonable business. Um, they've gotten okay growth. I, th I think the, the growth numbers are muddied by the transition to SaaS. SaaS changes. Um, yep. It's hard to view a time series of revenue once you're changing from, um, uh, you from know, what, big what upfront payments to, to, to subscription. Is Correct. It? So a, a time period that's yeah. got to weave it out. Does that? Exactly. That's often an opportunity. We took that opportunity with RPM Global. Yeah. Um, and there can. It, but you really have to know the business well, and I, I just don't know this very well. It doesn't seem all that high quality. It just does expenses and um, tracking of, yep. of, um, of, of cash allocation. They have little expense cards that they allocate as well. It's all useful stuff, but lots of competition, extremely competitive. It seems well managed, um, but he, I'm just wary at the moment of these software businesses trading at 10 or 20 times revenue. Not all of them are going to be worth 10 yeah. or 20 times revenue, and all of them are valued at that price range. Yeah. It, it has to be an exceptional business, I think, to, to garner a valuation like that. From where I can see, this is an average business, average software business that's well run at a at an expensive price. I'm, I'm not interested in this. Yeah, yeah. <coughs> uh, look, it's, it's the classic tech problem. I think that uh, I was reading this article where price to sales in yeah. the US is higher now than it was in the dot com. Wow. Because, oh, that's a because the, mm -hmm. the amount of uh, loss-making companies uh, listed is higher now than in the dot-com. Uh, so okay. th this, this is where we are. We are paying, and this is the problem of what we were talking about before. You're bringing forward growth. Yeah. So you're buying something that's going to deliver to you yeah. in four, five years' time. And now we're just trying to push it to you know, six, seven, eight years' time. And you're assuming that the economic cycle is constant. Everything is constant. Nothing is constant. Yep. Everything changes and all you need is one of those things to change and these things all yep. go to buggery. And so that's where the risk is. And there is a very low moat here. Uh, there's co competition can come from left, right and center and they are, yep. everyone's doing it. I mean, you just know the amount of people out there trying to come up with you know, their version of yep. buy now, pay later yep. on everything, right? Yep. And you know, transaction base. So I think you're just playing, I mean, it's a 40 mil market cap. Yep. You know, if, if you want to buy into something that's below 50 mil, it's got to have something unique. It's got to be able to shoot yeah, the lights I out. Right. Sure. I don't think this is going to do either one. So okay. I think the risk returns not there. All right, Kevin wants us to go to the other end of the scale, that ugly duckling that you a couple of weeks ago thought could turn into a swan, uh, Nathan. IAG, the big general insurance group. I remember you told us a couple of, mm. uh, would yeah. have been two months ago. They were so bad that they were now starting to look attractive. That's right. Uh, it's it's you know I always think of Gaurav's face when I look at those stocks. It's like <laughs> it's so ugly. He used to say this a couple of years ago. He's like, this is so ugly. I had to look at it, and that's, <laughs> and that's exactly how it was. And you look yeah. at the numbers and you go, it just turns up at the bottom of, the, of everything I look at, and I go. Yeah. That's something to look at because so it's wrong and everything. Is it looking better? No, look, I think it's climbing up and I, I'd say this is trading on the yield. If the yields are going up, yes. these guys will do well, right? Right. And the other hidden part about uh, the NRMA side of it is they're investing a fair amount of uh, money into tourism. Right. And, and they've got a new CEO, they're buying assets in Tasmania and they are actually growing that part of the business as well. So this has got a great brand, they're building good things um, it's just in the bad macro cycle. Uh, it got hit with green seal worries and it got hit yeah. with this worry, that worry. They weren't involved in any of them. And so in that context, I'd said, you know, it's very, very rare that you get a top 50 stock 
beaten up and everyone doesn't want to touch it because it's not sexy. It's not sexy till it becomes sexy. Now, yeah. everyone looks at QBE when yields run, and that's a, you know, I like it, but it's a dog, right? It it's always gets shot every six months, right? This thing is so much better, and people mm -hmm. are not buying it. So this is one you buy, you're getting a decent yield right now, but in you know, two, three years' time, you're going to get a much bigger yield. It'll be around okay. in 10 years' time. All right. I, I agree yes. with that. It's, it's a far better business than QBE. We've lost piles of money on QBE. <laughs> <laughs> it's taken me a long time to realise that QBE is a dog, but it is. It's, a, it's not a great business. Um, this is actually a reasonable business. I think the brand's really strong, well-managed for a long time. The metrics are quite attractive. Okay. I myself don't buy insurance companies because of that terrible history with QBE. Geez, that was a rough three years. But I'll life. tell you what. Oh, so you've been psychologically yeah. scarred. But scarred. It's like even though, even yeah, though have, QBE is a dog, and yeah. I remember every time I say this, he, he laughs, but you always buy QBE in single digit. When it oh. gets below 10 bucks, you buy it. And it always, because everyone assumes that the yields are going to keep going lower, but right. it doesn't, and then you get the bounce and QBE runs okay. 12 dollars My style has changed a little bit. I must say, are you, there was a time when I just really liked buying stuff that was cheap and almost irrespective of quality. Yeah. I think I, I just value the peace of mind a bit more now. Yeah. And, and I've just seen how you know, cheapness is not an investment case. Yeah. You know, you can't, we have a rule at II where we cannot buy something simply because of valuation alone. There has to be something else. You know, the question we ask is what's it got? Um, yeah. And we got that from Ken Nelson, who actually told us, <laughs> yeah. what's it got? You know, what's, what's special about this yeah. business that we want to own it? And it can't be just price. Yeah. Because everyone can see price. If it was really that attractive, then everyone would be piling in. Um, so is this attractive apart from price? Look, I think it's okay. If you want a, um, a return of, again, you know, probably 6 to 8% return you probably get from here, it's, it's fine. Uh, yeah. I don't think, it is, there's no bombs here. Yeah. But insurers are... are devilishly complex. I still, I mean, I've been in this business a while, I still can't, I don't quite fully understand the numbers. The numbers. Yeah, they so don't hard. really make all yeah. that but much it, sense. For me, it's a macro trade. Banks have done so well, not because they're good, they're actually pretty yeah. bad, but they've done well because you have to have that exposure for the yield trade and the macro trade. Now that the banks have gone from cheap to expensive, yeah. the natural trade is how do you diversify out of it while staying in financials? Well, the beneficiaries are insurance because diversified financials, asset managers are too expensive. So yep. this is the, the last man standing. Yeah. So they'll benefit from that macro trade. And okay. for me, IAG is such so a... So yes, from you... I, I'd say just hold. Hold? Yeah. Okay. I mean, if, if you're that's so inclined, I think this is fine, but okay. not for me. All right. No. Um, Gaurav Stewart wants a view on Tassel, mm. uh, Australia's biggest salmon farming company based in Tasmania. Uh, I noted that there's a group, Yarra Funds Management, have just increased their stake uh, over 5%. Does that ever play out with you in your decision making where you see a shareholder, a major shareholder, continuing to buy? If I know them personally, right, okay. <laughs> and I can see but that they're buying, yep. but, or if it's uh, you know someone with a big reputation. Right. But um, no, not really. Okay. It, it, you know, it, it takes all views to make a market, and yep. it's really important to hang on to your independence. Um, so it's something I try not to do, but it can be difficult sometimes not to yeah. get swayed. Yeah. Tassel is, a, is again, a surprisingly complicated business. Um, I, I know it looks quite attractive on the numbers. It looks quite cheap superficially, but you need to understand the way the accounting works in this business as well. So they, they sell salmon, obviously. They, yeah. they grow in salmon. In big farms. In big farms, yeah, yeah. correct. So they, they, they grow salmon from little fish to big fish. As the fish actually increase in size and maturity, 
they, the fish stock, that's called a biological asset on the balance sheet, gets revalued, and that revaluation runs yeah. through the P&L. Yeah. So the profit can actually rise just so as a function. It's not the balance sheet item. Well, the, the biological asset, but the change oh. in the balance sheet item runs through the P&L. Oh, right. So as, as, the, as the fish mature, you automatically get a, right. an increase in profit without yeah. actually having selling the fish. Yeah. having sold the fish, right. and a lot can happen. So there's a long cycle where you're making profits, the fish are getting bigger and bigger without selling, without selling a fish. Yeah. Now, most of the time you'll sell the fish and all, we, all will be well, yeah. but, but this is a, uh, you know, as the balance sheet tells you, it's a, it's a living thing. There's um, so many risks and yeah. there's so much capital. If a seal gets in or something, or but a disease yeah. or whatever. Exactly, and that's the, the seal, yes, that's right. I don't think about that, but that's a good one, yes. <laughs> this is actually reminds me a lot of the wine industry. You know, you, you, you pile in all this capital yeah. and you sit there waiting for years um, so you can sell a few yeah, bottles of wine. It's a terrible business, really. I, I think management's done a decent job of running what is a tricky business. I wouldn't be buying a okay. business of this quality, even though it looks cheap. Oh. Um, it was cheap, um, and we were in it um, for our models. And uh, yeah, we the premise was uh, pretty straightforward in the context that salmon prices were going up. The yeah. market was selling into it because salmon prices have a seasonal weakness at the end of the year. If you look at historical trends, right. they tell you around that. But it's a timing off when it turns is always a bit random. Um, yep. So it it's taken a bit longer than what expected. And in the last couple of months, all the salmon prices globally have t taken off. Now. All the uh, analysts who follow it publish the downgrade and they haven't published the since then because the only reasoning that they gave was it's lower salmon prices. Right. So the next one will be an upgrade. And why is this the, the pop that's just happened? Bring the 12, 12 month chart back up. Yeah. Go so there. why is there the pop? Go. And that's what we were, we were actually playing for that pop is because this was one of the most shorted stocks in the market. Yeah. There was about 13, 14% short. Mm -hmm. So it was a matter of timing of because it got to that value territory, and I'm, I'm not saying it's a, it's a CSL. It's, it's not right. a great business, but it's a vertically integrated business. Yes. It's relatively defensive because it's domestic predominantly, but it has a global play. And there were stories being thrown around that because China is not buying lobsters, that's going to be, right. I don't suddenly going to cook, I'm going to cook lobster instead of salmon. I'm still going to cook salmon. That was one side of the argument. The other part of the negative was the fact that it fell out of the index, so the index passive money had to sell out. Right. So that was weighing on the price as well. But even through that, there was 12% short. I'm sitting there going, they've actually put out the result. The index selling is done. Everything is done. What, what is the shorts waiting for? And I said, you're waiting for a crash here because minute the salmon prices take off, you're going to get squeezed. Yeah. Hence what is happening now. Yeah, They're getting okay. squeezed. So we're up 20%. Um, They're still 9.5% short. Uh, I'm guessing those people are bleeding out at the moment more than the salmon. So they'll be, they'll be throwing out some money to buy it. To cover 10%, they'll mm -hmm. have to buy three, four uh, weeks of every stock being traded. Right. So it could take number of weeks of covering to get right. out of it. And so you reckon it's got more to go? Look, the valuation now, it looks, you wouldn't chase it. But the reality is, if you look at the shorts, it could run up to $455. Okay. So we've been in it. Uh, our premise was not that it's a great business, but it was mispriced. But you wouldn't for get in risk. it now? Uh, Too look, risky. I'm on a hold. Our models are okay. on a hold at the hold. moment on that. Okay. But this is one where mm. it's, right. it's the same as Ingham. People okay. threw it out at the wrong time mm. and the risk return was in your favour. Okay, running out of time. Final mm. stock, Debbie wants a view on Nick Scarley, the big furniture manufacturer mm. here in Australia. Uh, a darling of uh, the COVID lockdown as everyone went yeah. and bought sofas because I was stuck at home. Share prices dropped a fair bit in the last month or two. Yeah, uh, it, look, it's, it's everything that could go right went right. Yep. And is that going to do for the next 12 months, for the 12 months after that? 
I think it's going to be tough. It's going to get a lot tougher right. and the multiples will be lower. So if I had to pick the property cycle, I'm not playing Nick Scarly for the property cycle. I'd rather you know, buy uh, Brickworks uh, yeah. brick or someone like that with the high quality business model and I can ride it. This is, I don't think it's the high quality business, it's just the macro cycle. Okay. I, I disagree. I've underestimated this business for years, um, thinking it was just a retailer, you know, furniture. And you talk about furniture. good management. Yep. I, uh, it's almost like a founder management. It is. Founder thinking, is it, yeah. rather than corporate executive. And sometimes it takes time to recognise good management. Yep. Unless you're on the story and you're following it, you yep. can only wait until the numbers tell you that the management's very good. Yep. But when you're in a business like this, fiercely competitive, um, but generating you know, sensational returns across the cycle, You've got to think there's something special here and um, it's probably worth taking a look. I've never actually gone through this in a lot of detail and retailers demand a lot of attention. So yep. you'd want to go through everything really well. There's a lot of room for fiddling in retailing accounts. Yep. There's things like uh, rebates, fiddling with inventory. You've got to really focus on what you're doing yep. in retail. Um, but when you have an owner manager like this, it certainly ro yep. lowers the risk. Which uh, apparently from the retail experts that we've talked to on Osbibs, their secret is when you go and buy a couch, mm they then start the manufacturing yeah. process. Yeah. So yeah, they've sort of de-risked it and got yeah. your money up front. You can, see, you can see it in the accounts. Yeah. Yeah. The, they hold very, the working capital for a retailer is quite low. Yeah. Um, and you know, usually retailers, if you, you expect a furniture retailer to have a relatively low inventory turn, and yeah. inventory turn is really important for retailers for their profit yeah. metrics. These guys, because they have so little inventory, mm. they actually looks really good. The return yeah. profile is quite attractive here. So would you um, be into it or Look, the, I'm, I'm a bit scared from the, uh, it just seems like a very obvious idea. I, I'd hold for now, right. um, but certainly this is, this is on the watch list as, as one of the few high quality retailers. Okay, all right, let's recap uh, quickly the final five stocks. Uh, Megaport, a no from both um, Gorav and Mathan. For Gorav, if it got down to around $7, um, uh, it looks very different. A common uh, and no. IAG um, for Mathan, it's so ugly he's looking at it and thinks it's a buy. Um, a hold from, uh, from Gorab, not as convinced. Uh, Tessel, um, a no from both Nick Scarley, a hold from Gorab, a no from Mathan. Gentlemen, thank you for that. Good to oh, see you, you, as usual. Pleasure. Gorab Sodi from Intelligent Investor and also Mathis Somersandaran from Deep Data Analytics. Always great to have them on a Monday. That's our show for today. Any stocks you want us to cover, flick us an email, the call at ausbiz.com.au or tweet us using that TV handle. A reminder, all the stocks in the calls portfolio, head to ausbiz.co forward slash portfolio. And Startup Daily Show between 2 and 2.45 p.m., this afternoon, the show that brings you all the great founders um, and companies seeking capital. Uh, when I was away last week, Melon Cliff uh, from Canberra, who, oh, who yeah. spoke at our first birthday party, did a new raise and valued Canberra at more than Fortescue. Wow. Yeah, 20 bills. Can you believe that? $20 billion, the loveliest founders you could ever meet. Regularly catch up on Startup Daily. Anyhow, I'm a fanboy of what they're doing at Canberra. Um, but this afternoon on Startup Daily Show, Alex Colvin from Pendula um, joins the team as he embarks on a $5 million raise for his messaging and workflow platform. That's on the Startup Daily Show, and they've got plenty of other guests ahead on it as well. You don't want to miss it. So a lot coming up on Ausbiz this afternoon. We'll be back after the break.